real mess after it. I mean, I'm still a mess over that thing, man. John chapter 3, verse 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. I hope that's your prayer tonight. All right, take your Bible, go to the book of Ephesians. We've been going through the seven walks of the believer, or seven walks in the Bible. And actually, instead of going to Ephesians, I'll have you go somewhere else real quick. Yeah, you can go ahead and turn that to Ephesians, brother. That's good. But there's a real uh, importance on walking in the Bible, and uh, not necessarily a physical walk, but rather a, relation, a relational walk. Consider for a moment what a home is like when you don't have mom and dad walking together. Can I say it like that? Consider what a home is like if there's no walk between the parents and the children. And I know some people have to grow up and deal with stuff like that. But in the Bible, you have a, you have a very good Heavenly Father. And He not only uh, died for you, He not only saved you from your sins, uh, He not only has prepared a place for you and all these other things, but then He didn't leave you alone. He gave you a book that told you how to walk. And like I said, there's a great importance in the Bible. We talked last week about Genesis chapter 5 and Enoch. And we read that Enoch walked with God. Not only that, we see in Genesis chapter 6, Noah. Everyone talks about Noah. He just built the ark, and he did. Him and his boys did a great job. And over all the whole earth, those three boys spread everyone over all the earth. But you know what was uh, preliminary to that happening? Before he got the work, he had to have the walk. And in the Christian life, walk, walking with the Lord is so very important. Look at Genesis 17 real quick while he's getting that set up. The Lord wants you to walk with Him. And what I'm trying to get across tonight, and I think, I think you get it, I think you understand, the Lord just doesn't save you and walk away from you. The Lord's interested in you. The Lord's just not interested in you going to hell. I mean, the Bible does say the Lord is not willing that any should perish, amen. He's not just interested in you not going to hell, but He's interested in having a personal relationship with you at the very age you are now. Instead of waiting until you're old and gray, <laughs> he wants a relationship with you every single day. That's probably one of the hardest things to communicate to young people. A lot of times we've done ourselves a disservice to the young people thinking that uh, you have to be uh, in your 20s and 30s and 40s and whatever uh, to be used of God. But God wants to use you right now in a personal relationship with him. Look at 17.1. Look what the Lord says to Abram. And when Abram was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am the Almighty God, walk before me, and be thou perfect. <laughs> you say, well, I don't know about the perfect part. All right, ignore that for the moment. But the Lord wanted to have a relationship with Abram. When? When he was 99. What we don't remember sometimes is there was 13 years of silence between Genesis 16, 16 and Genesis 17, verse 1. There's 13 years in the Bible that go by, and it seems like the, the Lord and Abraham are out of fellowship with each other. Or to, to, to be uh, clear, Abraham's out of fellowship with the Lord. And uh, walking with the Lord is extremely important. Look over at uh, Colossians chapter 2 in the New Testament. People mistake Christianity as, uh, <clears throat> you know, get out of hell free. Now, you sure can get out of hell free, but after that, the work is upon you to have a relationship with the Lord. 
Colossians chapter 2. And uh, those of you that have been married a few years, is it not work to get along with each other sometimes? Is it not work to be uh, on good standings with each other? I'm not talking about the fact that we're all flesh and we all mess up, but because uh, I, I don't understand it, but God's holy and God's just and God never messes up. But man, I'll tell you what, if you're going to be right with your spouse, it takes work. And uh, let's just face it, guys, some days you're just not up to putting the work into it. <laughs> That's the same way with the Lord. Some days you really want to walk with the Lord, and some days you're like, yeah, I really don't feel like walking with the Lord today. Now, you might not come out and say that, but let me tell you what, I've been around just long enough to know that's exactly what goes through our heads. And uh, I want to try to help you with that. And I want to show you from the Bible like we've been doing, the seven walks in the Bible. But here in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 6, look what he says. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so therefore see you at the millennium. Right? Is that what he says? <laughs> he says, so walk ye in him. So after you receive Jesus Christ, what do you have to do? You have to start walking with the Lord. And uh, I don't know how you see that thing. I see just a picture of two people walking down the road together. You walk down with someone you care about, your mom and dad, your wife, your husband, uh, boyfriend or girlfriend. <laughs> you like being around them. So walk, and the Lord says, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk ye in him. And that walk, it ought to be a close walk. You know, the very first message that Barnabas preached to the, that church in Antioch in Acts chapter 11 the first message he preached them that they should cleave unto the Lord. That's get close. Isn't that a good message? Get close to the Lord. How can you wrong getting close to the Lord? It wasn't, uh, I'm going to give you five passages why you shouldn't smoke. <laughs> That's probably a good idea, amen? But it was that you should cleave unto the Lord. Can I say this? A lot of people are trying, a lot of preachers and a lot of different uh, individuals are trying to put the emphasis on trying to get Christians to stop doing things, which look, if you're doing stuff wrong, you should quit it. Right? But what if we just make, like the song we sang tonight, my daughters and I, you know, we just get closer to Him. Don't you reckon if you just got closer to Him that maybe He would work out some of that other devilment? All right, let me show you another one here. Look at First Thessalonians chapter 4. Now listen, when you get saved, the Lord wants to have a relationship with you. He saved you from your sins. He's promised you a home in heaven. Isn't that a blessing? One day you're going to have a mansion. I don't care what the Bible correctors say. The Bible correctors say you're not going to have a mansion. You're going to have a room. Well, fooey on them. I like a mansion better than a room. <laughs> but the Bible said, I go to prepare a place for you. If we're not so, I'd have told you. <laughs> so in your ears, Bible correctors. <laughs> First Thessalonians 4 verse 1. I don't understand that stuff, man. No, we're not going to have... Oh, shut up. We're going to have a mansion. The Bible says it. Amen? If not, anybody volunteer, they can... Well, you don't have to clean it either because there's nothing that defiles itself. There's no dirt. There's no filthiness in heaven. Amen? All right, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. Paul says, Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as you've received of us how you ought to walk and to please God, so you would abound more and more. And to read that verse, you know what Paul did? Paul and his, his, uh, his helpers there, they went to those Thessalon uh, Thessalonian people, and they showed them how to walk with God. Amen? 
And you have a Bible that tells you and shows you how to walk with God. And if we don't walk with God as Christians, it's our fault. It is. You can choose to either walk with the Lord or you can walk with the world. You can walk with the Lord or you can walk with yourself, your flesh, right? And there's other things, but I'll tell you what. Uh, Paul, Paul says, you know what, uh, we showed you how to walk and please God. And then he says this, so you would abound more and more. So it's not just I'm walking with the Lord today. Paul's like, look, there should come a place in your life where you want to increase. You want to walk with the Lord more. You're just not satisfied where you're at spiritually. And I don't know about you, I am not satisfied where I'm at spiritually. I want to go further, but here's the thing. I, we say, preachers, we say this, you're as close to the Lord as you want to be. And that's the truth. But I'm not happy with where I'm at spiritually. I want to go far, I want to be closer. But you know what? When you try to get closer to the Lord, you know what happens? He brings the pain, doesn't he? Go to Philippians chapter 3. Now, this is a precursor to get back into our study about these seven walks. But listen, I want to be closer to Jesus Christ because He is everything. There's nothing more important in this world than the Lord Jesus Christ and having a relationship with Him and being in fellowship with Him. Now, some people get a crazy idea about that thing. That's not just you and Jesus having warm fuzzies 24-7. <laughs> I mean, that's you being in fellowship with Him, taking the time, to spend with Him every day as it's necessary, and then being able to walk in the power of the Spirit for the rest of the day. And then when you start losing that joy, you start losing the power, you start losing the, uh, the umph that you got, the spiritual unction, you go back and you get a refill. Uh, at the end of the day, here's, here's an interesting thing. Uh, generally, if you're normal, you want to go to bed, right? You know what that is? Your body needs renewal. And if the Lord didn't give you that whole thing about uh, going to sleep, y'all be dead by the time you're four. You would. <laughs> you wouldn't make it. But it just gets to the point where you just need to be renewed. So you got to go shut your eyeballs and get some sleep. And you know what? Uh, that might not be a great uh, picture of it, but you know what we need? We need spiritual renewal every single day. All right, Philippians chapter 3, look at verse 10. <clears throat> he says this, that I may know him. Isn't that what you want to do? Don't you want to know him better? and the power of His resurrection. So once you get to know the Lord Jesus Christ, and the closer you get to Him, He gives you the power. You see it right there? And the fellowship of His... Well, that comes after the power. Once you start to get the power, here comes the sufferings. And He says, being made conformable unto His death. And I tell you what, I want to get to know God, but I sure do desire the power of God. I pray for the power of God. I pray to be filled with the Spirit of God. I pray for you all to be filled with the Spirit of God. But I tell you what, there come certain days and I'll get the power of God and I'll feel it like I'm flexing, you know what I mean? And all of a sudden, here comes the pain. And all of a sudden, I don't want the power of God so much. You say, what do you need? I need a renewal. I need a refill. I need a recharge. <laughs> I mean, isn't that what everyone's device in their pocket? It's got to be charged. And don't you start uh, getting worried when your cell phone's at like 3%? Amen, brother. He, he one of the few, he last Mohicans there, right? But the rest of y'all, minus him, <laughs> y'all start like, oh, I got to, I, I, uh, you know, as a, as a substitute teacher, you probably, well, I don't know if so much in third grade, maybe not in third grade, hopefully not in third grade. But man, these high schoolers, they walked in, oh, you got a charger? You got my, my, my phone's going to die. What am I going to do? I'm like, who cares? 
these schools, they, they spend probably more money charging kids' phones than anything else. And they come in in the morning and they're dead. I'm like, what did you do all night? I watched YouTube. And they come in like zombies. They didn't get renewed. They didn't get a renewal. But there in Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings. You say, well, you, uh, you pick on the generation. Oh, stop it. There's a whole lot wrong with it. You've got to learn to call it out. Amen? You know what the devil wants you to do? You know what modern education wants you to do? Accept more sin. There's something wrong with us. There's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with you. There's something wrong with this generation, and they're not getting any better. You know the only thing that will get it better? A personal walk with Jesus Christ. And here we go right back to where we were here. And the first walk that we covered last week was the walk of the unsaved. Now, of course, as you know, that's the walk that you uh, walked before you got saved. I was real worried to tell you what you already knew. But that's simply how you used to be. The walk of the unsaved. And we covered at least 20 passages on that. We're not going to re rehash it. And you pick that thing up uh, just as a reference point. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. And you hath he quickened who are dead in trespasses and sins. Not only that, but then you got the walk of good works. And you pick that up in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Now we know, the Bible says, For by grace are you saved and the, uh, through faith, and that not of yourselves, the gift of God, lest any man should boast, right? Not of works. That's Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. But Ephesians 2, 10 says, For you are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus, that he hath before ordained that we should walk in them, talking about ordained under good works. So after you get saved, you are supposed to have a life that has good works. And we went all through that thing. We showed you who it was to. It was to everybody. Every Christian, every saved person ought to have good works. Amen. Men, women, young men, old men, young women, old women, doesn't matter. Rich widows, rich or poor, don't matter. And then inside those good works, you're supposed to be zealous about it. You say, well, I'm not very zealous about good works. Well, you could be. You're just going to have to get in that book and get renewed over it. You're supposed to be zealous of good works. You're supposed to maintain them. Uh, you're supposed to uh, you know, continue in them and so forth and so on. And then the third walk that we looked at, it was the worthy walk. And Paul talks about walking worthy of the vocation wherewith you were called. The worthy walk. You ever just stop and ask yourself, do I walk worthy of being called a Christian? You know how it goes. The old uh, saying goes like this. If you were to... Uh, you were to get hauled into court and, uh, and for being a Christian, you know, put on trial, would there be enough evidence to convict you? I mean, you ever just stop and think about that? Is there enough evidence in my life that I would get convicted and if it got so terrible that I would actually get put in jail for being a Christian? Or at the end of the trial, they're like, well, it's inconclusive, Your Honor. We don't know if they really are a Christian or not but talking about the worthy walk. And let's hit number four. This, uh, this walk is a different walk. It's the different walk. Now, we're not talking about just being different. You know, uh, I'm sure Sister Vanderveen sees it all the time. Kids walk in, and they'll have dyed their hair green. And I'm like, what did you do? You get in a fight with a clown? <laughs> no, no, I want to be different. I said, well, that's funny. There's about 200 of you about look the same, you know. <laughs> But everyone wants to be different. But we're not talking about that. But I believe it's Ephesians chapter 5. 
You pick this thing up in Ephesians, nope, chapter 4, verse 17. This is the different walk. As a Christian, you ought to be different. Now, you don't get to define different. The Word of God does. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. <clears throat> Bible says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you henceforth walk not as the other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. So you notice the comparison. There's a difference. Paul is saying, look, you don't, as a Christian, you don't walk as other Gentiles do. And he's talking about Gentiles. He's talking about unsaved, unregenerate, heathen individuals. Amen. There ought to be a difference between you and when you walk out the door. Now, I know sometimes, you, you know, the old-time preachers, they'd say, well, they ought to be able to pick you out of a crowd. I'm not so sure about that. Uh, I'm not so sure about that. You can put me within about 200 people in Walmart, and you, you, you just think I'm... A wood tick, I guess. Uh, but uh, you know, some people think that they got ever have everything so high and tight, and everywhere they go, they got to wear a shirt and tie and carry the family Bible. I'm not trying to be stupid with you. I'm just saying uh, you ought to be different, though. Now they might not be able to pick you out of a crowd, amen. But after talking to you for about three or four minutes, they ought to be able to tell that something's different. You see what I mean? You know why sometimes I believe that we don't have the opportunity to witness to people. Because we're nuts. <laughs> Amen. That went over real well. <laughs> I've seen that over the last 20 years. Uh, well, you know, they, people just don't want to hear the truth, really. Or is you're just so just high strung. You're just so high maintenance that every time you get around someone, you're putting the person in hell like you're running the joint. You see what I mean? But you ought to be different. <clears throat> and the first thing I see in this passage is your mind is different. Your mind is different. And it says uh, right here in 17... He says, uh, <clears throat> you, you shouldn't walk as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. You know what? The Gentile lost man, he's got a big, empty head. <laughs> a big, empty vanity, that vein that's empty. Let me give you another verse on this thing about your mind. Your mind has to be different. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Your mind has to be different. It ought to be different. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, look at verse 16. You ever stop and consider that you're just kind of stuck in this world here where you're at? And inside of you lives the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. And wherever you go, He goes. You ought to be different. <clears throat> Verse 16, the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 2, 16, For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that He may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. You say why you're different? You're different because you have the mind of Christ. You don't, you don't often consider yourself as, I have the mind of Christ. You're like, I just have the mind of who I am. And the reason I do what I do is because of my parents. They did what they do. And the reason I talk like this and look for coupons or whatever or leave the door and yell at my kids for leaving. The, see what I mean? But you've got the mind of Christ. Uh, if you're not careful, you just choose to follow the vanity of your own fleshly mind. But your mind is different. Uh, look at uh, verse 18, back to Ephesians chapter 4. Not only is your mind different, but your understanding's different. I think that's pretty easy to relate to. I mean, you look around, and a lot of people, are they're, uh, they're spacing out right now. They're getting all worked up again. You notice it's a cycle, right? People in this world get worked up, and there's one catastrophe after another, one disaster after another, and now it's the thing with Israel. And I understand, and I love the people of Israel and all that, but I'm not going to get all whacked out of shape over the thing. 
I mean, this stuff comes and goes. Uh, look at uh, Ephesians 4.18. Your understanding's different. 4.18. <clears throat> Bible says, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. And you know what? A lost man, they just can't understand what you can understand through the Scriptures. That's why it's so important to be in that book. Because if you're not reading the Bible, your mind isn't going to be any different than the, the, the man on the moon or the fellow next door. But your understanding is different. And not only that, look at verse 18, your life is different. Your life is different. <clears throat> he says, uh, being alienated from the life of God through ignorance. You ever stop to consider that you're part of the family of God? You're different. You're from a different family. And your, God, your, your father is the God of the universe. He made the heavens, he made the earth, he made the stars, uh, he, made the, he made the whales. What do you think of that? I mean, what, I mean your, lost, your lost co-worker, uh, what are the, you know, I've got an uncle, he made a sled. That's great. My father made the world. Amen? <laughs> he says, what a dumb example. You ever stop and think that your life is different? Don't you often feel entitled? No, liar. Amen? You ever just stand back and look what everyone's going through and go, I'm sure glad one day I won't be here to mess around with this stuff. You ever look at the workplace and go, <laughs> one day, see you later, <laughs> and I don't care, who knows. <laughs> Amen? You ever just look at what you're doing, trying to make it day in and day out and trying to pay the bills and trying to go shopping and trying to not get disgusted about the prices keep going up three times what they were from last year and just realize your life is different? Because your father is different. The Bible says over in John chapter 8, 44, Jesus Christ talking to religious lost people. He said, you're of your father the devil. Your life's different. You've got a different daddy. Not only is your life different, but look at this one. Uh, verse 19, Ephesians 4, 19. Your feelings are different. <laughs> your feelings are different. <clears throat> Bible says, who being past feeling. You know what a lost person is? Past feeling. Say, what's past feeling? Oh, someone that can sit down and watch people get their heads hacked off and arms and legs hacked off and watch all this garbage and like, ha, yeah, that's, pretty, that's, pretty, that's past feeling. That stuff ought to bother you. Well, you know, preacher, it's not real. Really? The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, all them that hate me love death. You ever wonder why you like to sit in front of that stuff? You ever wonder why you... Now listen, if you like a good old Western movie where the guy in the white horse wins, that's biblical. <laughs> Amen. And if you suffer for Jesus Christ, you'll come back on a white horse too. But I'm talking about all this debauchery stuff, all this wicked ungodliness going into the season that we're in. That stuff's right out of the pit of hell. I don't care what anybody says. I got the stuff. It's all documented, and I give it to you, and I bore half of you to tears. Documented fact. That stuff's of the devil. But let me tell you what. Your, uh, your, your, your life's different. Your feelings are different. You're not past feelings. And that, but you ever stop and look at, uh, <clears throat> I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll give myself away. I've got a big old mushy heart. I really do. And sometimes I go to school uh, and, uh, you know, help and pretending like I don't teach nothing. I just manage chaos. I've said that before. Amen. You got to feel the same way some days. Amen. And uh, <clears throat> because as a substitute, you don't get to actually make the progress. You're just there because no one else will come and you're just you're filling in you know like there's a hole in the wall and you're, you're just that stuff going into the hole in the wall and you're just filling it in there uh, but anyway sometimes I'll go in there and I hear some of them kids talk it'll break my heart and you know what I'll do 
tears will start coming. And I'll get embarrassed and I'll wipe my face and turn around so no one can see me. And then I'll say, thanks, Lord. Thanks for the tears. Thanks for not letting me be past feeling. You're different. You're different. Your walk should be different. You ever get on a bus uh, full of people? You ever just stop and get out of the excitement of the moment? If you're able to get out of the excitement of the moment and start to realize that you're on a bus with 50 to 60 lost people and the possibility that three-quarters of them or more might go to hell, it ought to break your heart unless you're past feeling. And the only way you're past feeling, if you're saved, is if you defiled your conscience and you keep wounding your conscience and you won't fix your conscience by getting in that book. Now you're different. You're different. (laughs) Uh, A fellow used to go here, he said, Jeremy, the Lord wants us to be different. Amen, amen. I'm glad he wants us to be different. But uh, your feelings are different. You're not past feeling, and you shouldn't be past feeling. Uh, not only are your feelings different, but how about this? Look at uh, Titus 2.14. <clears throat> I know you know this stuff, but uh, we're looking at this thing about the different walk. The different walk, Titus 2.14. Your ownership is different. Your ownership is different. Mind me of that goofy movie. Remember that movie back in the, whenever Annie came out? You know, and Annie had a dog named what? Sandy. Remember Sandy? Old goofy, wiry, flea-bitten rascal there. And she's walking down the road there, and, uh, you know, the cop, I think the thing was positioned at the beginning of the 1900s there. And, uh, and she said, officer, it's my dog, it's my dog. She said, yeah, it's your dog. Well, then call it. Well, he, she didn't have a name for it. <laughs> so she just started calling, Sandy, Sandy. You know what? Your ownership is different. When the Lord calls you, can you tell it? When he reaches out to you, can you tell it? You see what I mean? Whose dog are you? You are just a bunch of say Gentile dogs. Actually, now you're sheep. <clears throat> but your, uh, your ownership is different. The Bible says in Titus chapter 2, verse 14, uh, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify himself in a peculiar people, zealous of good works. You know that. And, of course, over in 1 Corinthians, uh, you can turn there if you want, chapter 6, your ownership is completely different. 6.19, uh, Bible says, What know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have a God, and ye are not your own? Isn't that wild? You ever stop and just think for a moment that you don't belong to yourself? We sang it this morning uh, as an example. Now I belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me. Right? That's what it is. Your ownership is different. Amen. When the world comes calling, you shouldn't answer, right? If the devil calls on you, you shouldn't answer. But when the Lord calls on you, you should be able to hear my Lord, send me. Whatever you need, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm the guy. You want me to be a rag to wipe the scum off somebody? I'll be that guy. Uh, if you want me to be, if you want to pull me out of a brook like David pulled them five stone outs and you got a job for me, all right, just put me in your pouch for a while, Lord and you walk down the road of life, and you try to get close to them, and you walk with them, and you walk with them, and all of a sudden he reaches in there and grabs you out. Boom. There you go. And then he'll come pick you up, put you back in the pouch, and let you rest for a while. Your ownership is different. How about this one? Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Your praises are different. Now, I know this is easy stuff, and you all understand this, but you, your walk should be different. Your walk should be different. 
Now, I'm not talking about you need to walk around town like you just stepped out of 1857, you know what I'm saying? The Amish got that down pretty good. And most of them are pretty good bakers and builders and candlestick makers and all that stuff. But uh, you, you, you're, you're different, but your praises are different. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You see that? Your praises are different. You go to the workplace, you know what everybody praises? Ah, go Lions! Did they play today? They're playing right now. Is that your way of saying hurry up? Okay. <laughs> but you know what the lost does? They praise what they praise, uh, they praise what they love, right? Uh, isn't that Daniel? Daniel 5:4. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold, the gods of silver, and of brass, of iron, wood, and stone. Isn't that the lost man? I'm not saying look how much better we are, but look how much better off you are. Because when you're saved, you're a child of God, your praises should be different. You should be thanking God. You should be praising the Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay, preacher. Your praises are different. Now, that's the different walk. Let me talk about the walk of love for a minute. Go back to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. Now, now, I'm not talking about the, the, you know, that group back in the 70s, dire straight, you know, the walk of love. But this is the walk of love from the King James Bible. That's Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. Now, if you're going to walk for Jesus Christ and get to know him, he's going to teach you this one as well. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, the Bible says, And walk in love. As Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. All right? Now you notice here, first of all, that the walk of love, it follows the example of Jesus Christ, doesn't it? It follows the example of Jesus Christ. And that how, preacher? The walk of love is giving. The walk of love is giving. Now we struggle with that because so many people have taken advantage of many of you at times. Amen? You've been taken advantage of. You've been hurt. But you know what? If you're going to walk the, the way you're going to walk in love, it's going to be a, 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 it's going to be a giving walk. Uh, Galatians 1.4. Galatians 1.4, one book over or one book back. One book back to the left. Galatians 1.4, the Bible says, Who gave himself for our sins? Now you stop and think for a minute. You, uh, if you were to be able to take every sin that you've ever committed... And there's some doozies in there, amen? Amen, you know, I won't admit it. <laughs> if I had to take all my sins, amen, over the last uh, 40, almost 48 years here, there's, a, there's some doozies in there, amen? And uh, to realize that Jesus Christ gave himself for my sin. That's disgusting. I don't understand that. I really don't. But if there's a man named Jesus Christ, and I know there is, and he came down here and lived a perfect sinless life, and he gave himself for our sins and for the joy of the cross that was set before him, man, that's hard to understand, isn't it? If he could do that for all the sins of the whole world, then I can surely walk in love. I can surely walk in love. And that walk is giving. Uh, back in uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, the walk of love is not only giving, but it's sacrificial in its offering. It's sacrificial in its offering. Now, parents, you are generally, uh, ge I say ge generally, <laughs> you are inclined, especially mothers, especially mothers. 
mothers are naturally inclined to be sacrificial towards their children. Uh, there might be exceptions that prove the rule. But he says, And walk in love uh, as Christ also loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and sacrifice. There it is to God for a sweet-smelling savor. And uh, people have no idea what love is. Love is giving. Uh, people say, well, don't you know that I love you? I'm like, well, it's, well if, you, if you love me, then what are you giving? Right? If all you're doing is giving me a hard time, I'm doubting whether or not you love me. You see what I mean? Uh, but the walk of love follows uh, Christ's example, and it's giving, and it's sacrificial. How about this? Look at verse 3, Ephesians 5, 3. That walk of love is clean. It's clean. It's not dirty. 5.3, but fornication and all uncleanness and covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become a saints. If you're going to walk in love the way Jesus Christ told you, there are some things that you're going to have to avoid. And let me tell you what, this world is really good at throwing it in your face. It don't matter where you go. You get defiled going to stinking Walmart. You get defiled, you get defiled going to a place to eat chicken wings. You're going to get defiled. And uh, you're going to have to, you know, you have to guard your thoughts. You're going to have to stay close to the Lord. But it's clean. Uh, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Now it's our job to stay clean, isn't it, Christian? Now when you were just a youngster and just a little tyke, didn't your parents say, get in the tub? Your parents had to tell you to get in the tub. You still have to tell the boys to get in the tub? I remember... Uh, I can't remember specifically, but there's a couple times and some of the, mine aren't young anymore. They're young, but not young, young. Uh, and, and I'd say, you either get in there and scrub, or I'm coming in and I'm going to scrub you. And let me tell you, what, that was, when I said that, they would, I never saw them again, and they're always squeaky clean, amen? <laughs> get in there and scrub your real estate, for crying out loud. Look at 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1. Having therefore these promises, that's chapter 6. Dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the spirit of God. Two types of filth you see in that passage right there, and it's your job as a Christian to stay clean. Amen? Uh, the problem with a lot of Christians, they're like that cartoon character, Pigpen. The Peanuts cartoon character. Remember Pigpen? He's just, every, just like all these flies all around him. That's a lot of Christians. He's just dirty, and they get dirty and stay dirty. You ought to have a short sin account. Matter of fact, if you sin, it ought to bother you so much that you find a way to stop what you're doing and go take care of business. Now, if you don't, and it escapes your mind until later, as soon as the Holy Spirit brings it to mind, clean it up. As in, clean up on aisle four, and you take care of business. Let us cleanse ourselves. It's not your parents' job to clean you up. They can provide a place where an environment that you can stay cleaner than if you're out in the world but it's not your parents' job to get you clean. It's not your preacher's job to clean you up. It's not the Lord's job. It's your job. And you know how, as a Christian, the Bible says you're clean through the word which I have spoken you. I remember as a kid being in the tub, and then uh, your, your, your mom or dad would forget about you, and all of a sudden you look down at your hand, looked like a bunch of prunes. Remember that? But you were clean, you know? I remember one time, I must have been five or six, I'm sitting in here playing in the tub and splashing water all over the place, and... A man, old man comes in, what are you doing? I'm like, oh! And he's like, my soul, he says, you look like a prune factory. I didn't even know what prunes were. But I sure was clean. They forgot about me. <laughs> you know, probably was quiet, you know. Hey, you know, let's go to town. 
but uh, the walk of love, it's clean, it's clean. Uh, notice back in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3, the walk of love, you know what it is? It's, uh, it's a walk of contentment. Now, this stuff runs together. <clears throat> if you're going to walk <clears throat> in love, you know what's going to follow you? Contentment. Contentment. The right type of love brings about contentment. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. Uh, verse 4, rather. No, it is, uh, it is 3. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness. Let it not be once named among you as become a saints. Ask yourself, are you content? Are you content with such things as you have? Or are you always looking for the next one, next model, next upgrade, next advance, <laughs> whatever it is? You say, why you say that? I've maybe got a few years of been probably doing that, you know. But are you content? Be you content with such things as you have. Uh, what does Paul say? I'll look over at... Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, it's a tough one. And I say it's tough because we're Laodicean Christians. Uh, you might be Bible believers, but you're still living in the Laodicean church period. And your feelings still get hurt uh, easily than your grandparents did. Let me tell you what, if, you, if all of our grandparents were still alive, they, all your grandparents could sit in one room, like grandparents or great-grandparents, and they could tell Polack jokes and German jokes and Spanish jokes and all jokes to each other, and nobody get offended. But our generation, oh, I can't believe he said that. Oh, he's racist. You're an idiot, man. You need, to, you need to find a good joke, whatever your ethnicity or heritage, you need to find a good joke about what you are and learn it and memorize it. And next time you hear it, you need to laugh at it. Amen. <laughs> but... Uh, <clears throat> And this is going to tie into my next one here. But uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse uh, 6 to 8. 1 Timothy. Some of your grandparents, they'd work 12, 14 hours a day, multiple jobs. You know, in our generation, i got to work eight hours. Are you kidding me? Really? <laughs> 1 Timothy chapter 6, Bible says, But godliness with contentment is, wow, great gain, great gain. Ain't that something? Godliness with contentment is great gain. I'll just move to the next one. The walk of love, you know what it avoids? Back to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 4. We're almost done with this one. It avoids foolish talking, foolish talking. That doesn't mean you can't have a good time. doesn't mean you can't tell a good, clean, wholesome joke, you know, does mean you can't make people laugh? I mean, face it, some people are, uh, can make others laugh. Some people can tell a joke, and some people just stop. Stop trying to tell a joke because you can't do it. Amen? There's a certain personalities, like my son Bean. He's, he's pretty good at telling a joke. I don't know if I'm laughing more at the joke or at him telling it, but at any rate. <laughs> but the walk of love avoids foolish talking and jesting. Look at 5.4. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. You know what that is? That's just a bunch of foolish talking. You know what I see a bunch of Bible believers doing in these last days? They're constantly sarcastic about everything. They're constantly sarcastic. There's nothing, nothing serious anymore. Everything is a joke. And uh, what I've learned over the last 20 years is a lot of that sarcasm is just penned up bitterness. That's all it is. And you can't be serious. And you're too immature as a Christian. Uh, if the shoe fits, wear it. If not, take it back to Walmart. 
You're too immature as a Christian to be kind. You're too immature as a Christian to be caring or loving, so you have to be sarcastic. That's what that is. And that's bitterness. That's bitterness comes out. You tell me that after all God's done for you, you're still going to be bitter about things? But it's there, isn't it? And when you embrace a subject that's uh, hurt you or nipped you or whatever, you don't think it's been treated fair, here it comes, sarcasm. That's what it is. And Paul says, that walk of love, it avoids foolish talking and jesting. You ever just stop and check your mouth? (laughs) You ever just stop and tell yourself to shut up? Man, I got to do that all the time. Man, I get the, I got to watch it around my boys, man. It just man, it just comes naturally around family, people you love. You just start running at the jaw, man. Just stop and tell yourself to shut up. Shut up. <laughs> All right, now here's another one. Uh, here's uh, uh, Ephesians 5, verse 4, the walk of love. It, uh, it's a walk that gives thanks, Ephesians 5, 4, but rather giving of thanks, that verse says. Now, the next time you're tempted to be sarcastic about some brother that's a pain in your neck or wherever, uh, just stop and give thanks that he's your brother. Amen? I mean, the, the prayer could go two ways. You could be upset about what you think about them, or you just be thankful that they're saved. You don't want people to go to hell, do you? You want your neighbor to go to hell. You're like, maybe a couple neighbors. No, I'm serious. You don't really want them to go to hell, do you? Well, then start being thankful for them. Here's the walk of light, uh, number six. Look at Ephesians 5, verse 8, the walk of light. We're going to put it fast forward here and try to get through this thing. The walk of light. Now, you know that book is like light. And so these things have to do with a book. And that walk of light, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, Now are you light in the Lord. Now are you light in the Lord. You ever say something like this? Well, boy, they sure are in the dark. Sometimes you say that derogatory about your family. Well, they're in the dark. Well, maybe they don't have the light of the book on it. The Bible says, uh, the entrance of thy words giveth light. But that Bible says, uh, and that, that walk of light, it stems from the new birth. He says, now, now. You remember what it was like before you got saved? Maybe you got saved when you are young. Maybe you can't remember that too far. If, if you can't remember too far back before you got saved, praise the Lord for it. But that walk of light, that stems from a new birth. And not only that, but that walk of light, it's a proving walk. Look at verse 10, Ephesians 5.10. He says, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. If you're going to walk in the light, if you're going to have a, a, a walk that's uh, lit by the Word of God, you're going to have to prove some things. You've got to stop taking everyone's word for it. Amen? Gals, guys, you're going to have to start proving what you're doing for the Lord. Stop taking everyone's word for it. That's a proving walk. The Bible says proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. What you're doing right now with your life, is this exactly what God wants you to do with it? How do you know it? Well, because I like it. That doesn't mean it. I mean, do you know that you're doing exactly what God wants you to do? Okay. Well, praise the Lord then. Uh, Notice this, verse 11, Ephesians 5, 11, the walk of light, it doesn't have fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. You see that? Verse 11, the Bible says, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather just understand that everyone does their own thing. No, that's not what it says, but rather reprove them. You know why people get upset uh, who have been in a... uh, When you start calling out their sins, 
because you turned the light on. Don't you just, didn't you love it as a kid when you were sleeping and she'd walk in and turn the light on and say, time to get up and go to school. You're like, ah, go away. I don't want to go to school. You know what bothered you more than anything else? It wasn't getting up. It was the light hitting your eyes. And when you approve the unfruitful works of darkness, man, people don't like it. But that's your job as a Christian, to not have any fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. We're not saying you seal yourself up in a cave and never talk to anybody. We're talking about when you come across that thing, you use wisdom and walk in wisdom towards them that are without, but then you approve what they're doing if the Lord gives you the chance. Amen. Let me show you this one here real quick. Uh, not only that, but show this walk of light. If you look at the next verse there in verse 12, look, look what it does. It doesn't talk about certain things. The Bible says, for it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done in secret. Ain't that something? You realize, Christians, there's just some things you got no business talking about. Uh, the news media says this. There's, uh, knowledge is power. Oh, yeah? Uh, knowledge is not power. Uh, education uh, without uh, the Lord is damnation. And, you know, the Bible says that... Uh, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. So knowledge is not always power. There's some things that you should know nothing about. There's some wickedness out here in this world you don't need to Google. Amen? You need to stay away from it. Well, I just want to know what's going on. Why do you want to know what's going on? Why don't you focus on the pure uh, word of God and you just focus on truth so then if you focus on truth, error will show up that much clearer instead of focusing on all the errors, because when you get focusing on everyone's errors, man, that thing, that'll take you off in a bad direction. You be careful about studying demonology. Be careful about studying Satanism and all. I wouldn't mess with that stuff. You say, why? You, are you a chicken? Absolutely. I know my limitations. I'll study what the Bible says about it, but you get all these goofy, gory books about, you know, all people who are studying rock and roll music and got a brain in their head. I'd stay far away from that stuff. Well, you know, preacher, I heard that if you take, uh, you know, Aerosmith's record and if you take, you know, the Stairway to Heaven and you, you go backwards with it, all that stuff. No, thanks. I want nothing to do with it. I don't. Well, you know, all these, uh, all these uh, homosexuals and sodomites, you what they're doing? I, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Why? It's a shame even to speak of those things which are done to them in secret. That's what the Bible says. Well, you're just a little bit obtuse. Well, I'm not sure what that is, but I probably agree with you. Now, you're just a little bit narrow-minded. Amen. It's a shame. It's a shame to even to speak of those things which are done in the secret. All right, find the last one. Here's the circumspect walk. Circumspect walk. The Bible is interested in how you walk. No Christian will ever get to heaven and say, Lord, you never told me how I was supposed to live. Lord, you never told me how I could have a relationship with you. He's going to say, you're a liar. Circumspect walk. Now, do you see within that word circumspect, don't you see the uh, root word for the word circle? Don't you see that there? Uh, here's the 1812's definition of circumspect, literally looking on all sides, looking around. Isn't that what you do when it gets a little bit of ice on the road? You're looking all over the place. You say, what are you looking around for? Because if i got to biff this thing, I want a soft place to biff it. <laughs> right? 
And uh, don't you, when you're with, out with your family, I remember when my family was real young, when we go out places I wasn't real sure about, man, I'd be just, I'd be like, you know, you know, SEAL Team 6, you know. Not only was I, you know, locked and loaded and everyone was a bad guy. Circumspect, looking all around, cautious, prudent, watchful on all sides, examining carefully all circumstances. They may affect the determination or a measure to be adopted. Now, the circumspect walk, uh, uh, look at uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 5, uh, look at verse uh, 15. He says, see that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. You'll notice the circumspect walk, we're almost done here. It's a wise walk. It's not foolish in its actions. You see that? And uh, even over Proverbs 24, verse 9, the Bible says, the thought of foolishness is sin. Christian, you have to be circumspect. You've got to look at that thing on all sides. The devil's not going to come right at you. Uh, open sin, generally, generally. You know what the devil's going to do? He's going to watch. He's going to step back, and he's going to watch how you get up in the morning, and he's going to watch how long it takes you to do this. He's going to watch how long it takes you to get to work, and he's going to watch how long it takes you to get going in the morning at your job, and then he's going to look and see how you interact with people, and then he's going to set snares all along the way where you're already walking. So you have to be circumspect. You have to be looking. You can't go blindly throughout the day. They said this when I was taking classes for criminal justice back in the 90s. You cannot ever get a daily routine. Routine will kill you. Now look, be disciplined in what you do, amen? Even have a habit or so. But if you get routine, routine says that you've thrown caution to the wind and you're no longer aware of your surroundings. As a Christian, you have to be circumspect. You got to be on guard. You got to be sober. You got to be vigilant. Why? The devil's not—he—he's not done messing with you. Why? How do you know? You're still breathing air. And that devil and the world and the flesh will never let you off the mat until you're done. Done what? Dead. But that thing—it's wise in its action. Not only that. Look at Ephesians five sixteen. The circumspect walk. You know what it does? It redeems the time. You say, what does that mean? It realizes that probably you've wasted some time in the past, and if you're going to walk circumspectly, you realize you've got to buy back some time. Okay, so I didn't do what I did there in that period of time in my life, but here's the circumspect walk. I have got to redeem the time, the Bible says in verse 16. You've got to go after it. You've got to buy it back. Every Christian ought to redeem the time. Redeem the time. If you have downtime, you ought to limit it. Why? Downtime gets you down. It gets you in trouble. Uh, you'd almost be better to be too busy doing the right thing than not busy enough, which will lead you to do the wrong thing. But it redeems the time. It redeems the time. I'll give you just a couple more and we're done here. Now notice, notice this in verse 17. If you're walking circumspectly in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17, you know what you will be? You'll be understanding what the will of the Lord is. I've heard Christians before say, so I don't know what God wants me to do. Well, the first thing he wants you to do is know what he wants you to do. <laughs> you say, how's that? you got to get in the book. I heard this, uh, this fallacy for a number of years when I was a little kid going to church here. And they say, they call me Jamie. They say, Jamie, when you get older, the Lord's going to do something with you. <laughs> what, what am I now? You know, <laughs> chop liver? <laughs> There's no reason why God can't do something with those boys right there. And, and is doing something right now. You say, what is he doing with them? Uh, they're obeying the parents. That's the will of God. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. You say, well, yeah, but well, I'm not married and I'm single. Well, praise the Lord for that. 
Uh, can the Lord use me? He should be using you right now. Serve him in any capacity you have. You see what I mean? You redeem the time. You understand what the will of the Lord is. And then finally, uh, notice this here in verse 19. Uh, you've got some different conduct things here. But uh, actually skip back to uh, 18. Uh, the circumspect walk is not drunk with wine. According to Ephesians 5.18, he avoids it. That's Proverbs 23.31. And then finally in verse 19, uh, the circumspect walk is a walk paved with good music. You see that? Yeah, so I don't know. Uh, there's a lot of gray area in the Christian life. No, there's not. There's only gray area because you don't read the book on it. If you're not reading the book, I'm not accusing, I'm preaching. You see what I mean? You want to know how the Lord wants you to walk? He wants you to walk circumspectly. And that affects what you put in the body, and uh, in your mouth, and in your ears. And that's verse 18 and 19. Verse 19 says, Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. You know, some people are so, uh, so addicted to music, it's ridiculous. And you say, I'm not addicted to music. Then how come every time you get in the vehicle, you got to turn it on? That's the telltale sign. Can you get in and shut it off? I mean, my work truck, it, it don't work. We took it out. Uh, that's because it never worked to begin with. So we did what everybody else did. We bought a Bluetooth speaker. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the Lord's interested in what you put in your mouth. He's interested in what you put in your ears. I'm just trying to tell you, and we're done here tonight. The Lord's interested in how you walk. The Lord's interested in how you live your life as a Christian. The question is, are you interested enough to figure out what he wants you to do? Now, those are the seven walks. Uh, we call that the seven walks of the believers, but the first one is the walk of the unsaved, so that wouldn't apply. So these are just seven walks in the Bible. And that will conclude our study of the sevens. We did a bunch of sevens. And be my desire, if the Lord doesn't come back before next Sunday night, we're going to start a series on the Holy Spirit, probably run the rest of the year. So it'll be good, and uh, it's a great, uh, great study. It's a systematic study, so if you're a note taker, it'll help. It'll help you understand uh, who the Holy Spirit is and uh, what his role is in, in your life and in the Godhead. All right, why don't you stand? We'll be dismissed with prayer.